Well, this past week, I and my family had an incredible privilege and a wonderful providence. The privilege, I was able to be the speaker for Pine Cove Family Camp out in Columbus, Texas. So that allowed my family to go to family camp, and it was just awesome. Had an incredible time. Uh, it was an incredible privilege. I got to teach all week, which I love to do, and our family got to enjoy all that camp has to offer. The wonderful providence was that some of the things that we're hoping to grow in here at Redeemer were certainly a part of family camp. Um, over the last couple of months, or maybe a couple of months ago, you heard me say that the elders are wanting me to spend some of my time and energy on developing family ministry here at Redeemer. Um, kids ministry, student ministry, but in particular our ministry to families, in particular ministry to parents, encouraging and equipping families as they seek to lead their children to joyfully follow Jesus and help others to do the same. I've been doing some reading, some visiting with different folks and brainstorming with the hopes of putting together some initial baby steps for our church as we seek to do a better job in this light. And one of the things that continually comes up in the reading and then the discussions and just as you're sitting around with parents talking about what do you all do and what are you good at and what have you, whatever, um, always in these discussions, family devotions come up. The idea of of a regular time of, of gathering together your family, your kids, and, and spending just a bit of time, doesn't have to be a long time, but just a bit of time, talking about the Lord, who He is and what He's done and what He calls us to be and to do. Maybe singing a song or reading a story from the Bible or the like and discussing it. And um, one of the things, well, Tara and I, as we think about our parenting, we've now have Macy, she's 13, Molly's eight, Maddie's six. We like to think that we have a wonderfully joyful home. That our home is a happy place for our girls, safe and secure, and we never have to worry about it being an angry place or a scary place at all, but happy and a joyful place. And over the years, we believe we've done a good job of praying with our girls when we put them down at night, praying with them and have done okay at reading Bible stories to them, generally individually. But we really, for these 13 years, have not had regular family devotions where the whole family gathers together for an intentional and relational time in God's Word together, talking about Him. Probably less than 10 times. And so Tara and I have been aware of this, and we've at times over the years talked about doing something about it, but these discussions and these reading have, have encouraged it. Well, at family camp this week, that was part of the program. Each morning you had breakfast, and then after breakfast everybody gathered around and we all sang a song together, and then you broke for family devotion time. And you were just going to have it. And so we did. It was Tara and me and our three girls and uh, Locks, our camper, or our counselor that got to be with us during those times. And y'all, it was horrible. <laughs> I'm going to take that back in a second, but I first want to say it. It was horrible. <laughs> the squirming that was going on, 
the moaning, the groaning. You know, when you're driving somewhere in the car, what's always the question? Are we there yet? Well, five days of family devotions, what was the question? Are we done yet? It was, man, it was something. You know, Lox is there, we're trying to impress her, you know, we got our good Christian home, you know. I think all of us um, want to do well with the kids that God has entrusted to us. To encourage them. It was good to be with those other parents. We kind of had a share time at the end of the week and parent after parent after parent stood up and talked about how difficult the family devotion time was. And we tried to encourage each other and say, well, you know, that's a hard place to have family devotions, you know? It's not like there's a bunch of boring stuff to do everywhere else over around camp. They were chomping at the bit to get out of there and go have some fun. So it was encouraging to listen to the other parents as they struggled through it. But there was also a sense and a camaraderie among us that said, yeah, it's hard, and yeah, they're squirming and moaning and groaning, and, you know, this might not be a thing we do every day, but, boy, it's something we, we want to press into. We don't want to quit. Just because it was difficult or just because it was that we're just going to give up. I want to show you... Um, couple of texts in scripture, maybe more this morning, just along that theme and maybe a broader theme. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you've been in the church for a while, this is a familiar text to us. Maybe you're new to Christianity, maybe you're new to the Bible, this may be the first time you ever hear this? But boy, is it a good reminder. God had called a man named Abram from Ur of the Chaldees and had said, Abram, I want you to leave your, your land and I want to bring you to a new land. And I'm going to give you a child, and not just one child, but a multitude of descendants. And I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. And Abraham obeyed God and came to the land. And eventually, if you know the story, this, this family that had begun to grow ended up down in Egypt for some 400 years in slavery and in bondage. And God, in fulfillment of his word, faithfulness to his people, delivered them from Egypt. He raised up Moses to deliver the people through the ten plagues culminating in the Passover, they crossed the Red Sea and came down to Mount Sinai. And there God gave his law to the nation. His word. That they might know him. That they might know his ways in the world. That they might obey him. It was his good and his perfect and his righteous law. He gave them uh, instructions on how to build a tabernacle, this tent-like structure that would be with them. And they eventually built the tabernacle. And just as God had said in Exodus chapter 40, his glory came to dwell in that tabernacle. God was with his people. 
And it came time to leave Mount Sinai and head toward the Promised Land. And they did. And they made their way north and came to a city called Kadesh Barnea. And maybe you know the story. They send in 12 spies. And the 12 spies come back. Ten of them say, it's a beautiful land, but the Anakim are there. They're big. They live in fortified cities. God has brought us into the desert to die. Joshua and Caleb, though, two of those spies, said, no, God has promised us this land. It's ours for the taking. But the people believed the report of the ten, and they murmured and grumbled and complained against God. And God said, for every day that the spies sent, spent in the land, 40, you're going to spend a year, 40 years, wandering in the desert, in the wilderness. And so they did. And God said, every one of you, 20 years old and older, is going to die in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb, and your children that you thought God had brought into the wilderness to kill, your children will be the ones to inherit the land. And so they wandered. And for those 40 years, that older generation died off. And that younger generation arose in the wilderness. And by the time that 40 years of wandering was finished, they found themselves on the east side of the Jordan River, poised to cross the Jordan into the land and defeat the Canaanites and take possession of the land. But before they crossed the Jordan and headed into the land, Moses gave some final instructions to this generation that had arisen in the wilderness. Those instructions are found in the book of Deuteronomy. Duet nomos, second law. God had given the law the first time at Sinai, to the older generation. That older generation died off in the wilderness and now the younger generation has arisen and Moses is, if you will, going to give them the law again. He's going to reiterate it to them and apply it to them as they look to head into the land and take possession of it. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6 is part of that instruction. Verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you, you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should, be, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Jump ahead in verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come saying, what do these testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us up from Egypt with a mighty hand. 
Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. One of the great reminders from a passage like this and from many of the things that I've been thinking about and talking with others about, one of the great reminders is that parents are the primary disciple makers in their children's lives. Parents, dads, and moms are the primary faith trainers in their children's lives. A text like this is the ideal, right? Parents first. Verse 5. You. He's talking to the moms and dads among Israel. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. So it's parents first, and then children next. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Dads, moms, us first. Not that you and I are to be perfect or will be perfect. We won't be, and our kids know that. Not perfect, but first. It's a good reminder for us to walk humbly with our God as an example as a model to our children, but then to take up this task to be the primary disciple makers in our children's lives, the primary faith trainers in our children's lives, to teach them of the person of God, who he is, the work of God, the works of God. Not only who he is, but what he has done. That includes the creation of the world. That includes the deliverance of his people from Egypt with his strong and mighty hand. That includes, as we sweep through the scriptures, what he has done because of his great love through his son, Jesus Christ, for the salvation of his people. And how he has exalted Jesus to the right hand of God and sent his spirit to live and to abide in the lives of his people, to guide them, and to comfort them, and to teach them, to empower them for a new kind of life. And what he's going to do, the second coming of Jesus and the like. So who he is and what he's done, his works and his doing and will do, and how we should live as those who love him and want to follow him. 
show you another text. Go to your right. The next book is Joshua, and then the next book is Judges. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses died. And at the end of Deuteronomy and the beginning of Joshua, Joshua becomes the new leader of the people. And God says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Only be strong and courageous. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then shall your way be prosperous and then you'll have success. And Joshua, through his wonderful leadership, led the nation across the Jordan River and they took Jericho and they learned a good lesson at Ai when they got defeated. But after that defeat, they went 31-0. and 0. That's a pretty good record. Much better than our record at North Texas when I played football there, right? 31-0. and 0. Initially taking possession of the land. God had said through Moses to the people, when you enter into the land, I want you to utterly destroy the Canaanites. Do not intermarry with them and do not worship their gods. Under Joshua, there was that initial conquest of the land. And the land was divided up among the 12 tribes and then it was given to the tribes to finish taking possession of the land. And we find out in the early chapters of the book of Judges that they didn't do so well. They didn't utterly destroy the Canaanites. And by virtue of living with them and being influenced by them, they eventually worshipped their gods. They intermarried with them. And it caused great trouble for Israel. In Judges chapter 2, Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim. And he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I've sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore, I also said... I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. It came about when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named that place Bochim, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. People served the Lord, all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work which the Lord, work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in timnath in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Apparently, 
the nation of Israel had dropped the ball on the call of Deuteronomy 6. It's hard to tell exactly how much blame lies where. Was it the parents who failed on the teaching aspect? Was it the children who failed to listen, to believe, and to obey? We parents know, and wisdom, common sense, tells us that we can be the very best of teachers for our children, and sometimes it's no guarantee that they will love God, love His ways, and follow Him. So we don't know for sure. Probably some blame lies on both sides of the coin, huh? Of the parents who maybe didn't take this responsibility to teach their children and of the children who didn't listen, love, and obey. But it led to verse 11. The sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So take these two texts together. Maybe they're... They're good for us, I think. Good reminders. These things, Paul said, are written for our instruction. Dad and mom, you and I are the primary disciple makers in our children's lives. We are lives. We are the primary faith trainers in our children's lives. And sometimes it is so easy for we parents, and me too, believe me, me too, to farm out the discipleship of our children to our local church. We send the kids to school and they teach them math and science and history and economics and chemistry and whatever. We send them to sports or to band and the coach or the director teaches them how to play and where to go and what to do and all that kind of stuff. And we, we send them to Sunday school and youth group and, and, and that happens there too easy for me to do that. Maybe it's easy for you too. You think about it, it's a little bit crazy though, isn't it? We send our kids to school 35 plus hours a week. And we send them to sports or to band or whatever it might be, 20 plus hours a week. We send them to Sunday school to youth group, maybe an hour or two a week. That's if we're regular <laughs> coming. It's easy for the church to posture itself in a way that encourages parents to do what we just said. Hey, you just bring them to Sunday school and we'll get them right. All right? We overpromise. And you need to get your student into RSM. If you'll get your student into RSM, Jared will train them up. We don't say it like that, but if, if church didn't watch itself, it can kind of feel like that. But it's my job. It's my responsibility to disciple Macy 
and Molly and Maddie. It's my responsibility to train them in the faith. Dads and moms, as God gives us these incredible opportunities, it's your job as well. The home has the greatest impact on young lives. Parents are the vital people that God has designed to nurture faith in the lives of children. Certainly there are all of the painful experiences of single mothers and single fathers through divorce or sickness and death. Those must be considered and we need to help in any way that we can. Here's the truth for my kids. The truth for yours. Your child and mine will not mirror the church they grew up in so much as the family they grew up in. Your kids and mine will not so much mirror the church they grew up in as they will the home that they grew up in. And so, we want to begin to say this more and more and more at Redeemer than we ever have before. That parents are the primary disciple makers in their children's lives. So you hear us say that kind of thing more and more as time goes by. But, the church family, Redeemer Community Church, is meant to come alongside to encourage, to equip, and empower parents as they seek to lead their children to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. One more text. Ephesians chapter 4, way over in the New Testament now. These are just some texts that are weighing upon me these days. The, the call of Deuteronomy 6 for parents to be the primary Disciple-makers in their children's lives. The, the painful picture in Judges 2 of a generation arose who arose that did not know the Lord. The generation that did, but the generation that arose right after him that didn't. And the pain that that brought into the nation's life. And then Ephesians 4, in verse 11 and following. This is Christ who, having died and risen, he gives gifts to the church. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Well, this is a, this is a text I need to come back to time and time again, as does our elders and our staff. But Christ gives gifts to the church, people with particular giftings who are not meant necessarily to do the work of the ministry, but to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And obviously, in a context like this, we want to do better to equip parents to do the work of the ministry 
with her own children. This doesn't mean that we're going to stop having kids' ministry on Sunday mornings. It doesn't mean that at all. What I hope it means is that we do kids' ministry even better as we begin to think through the implications of helping parents in discipling and training their children. We want to do kids' ministry even better. It doesn't mean we're going to stop doing student ministry. Hopefully what it means is that we'll do student ministry even better. It will mean that we'll add a few things along the way. We want to be careful with this, not to add too much, but we want to do more than we ever have, which is not much, to intentionally equip parents and encourage parents. And so as these next several weeks and couple months pass by, we hope that those kinds of things have not yet come together. We've just started having these conversations. Some of them we're pretty sure of, but we, we just want you to have your ears open as we begin to communicate some things that we will be doing. I want to close with a few things. Dad and Mom, Mitch and Tara, walk humbly with your God. You first. What's the old adage in, in parenting? Make sure the tongue in your shoe lines up with the tongue in your mouth. All right? Sometimes the tongue in our mouth is telling our kids this, 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 and this, but the tongue in our shoe is going this way. Right? It's the old dad who says, hey, don't do as I do, do as I say. That don't work. When our tongue and our shoe is walking this way, but a tongue in our mouth is walking this way, do this, do this, and this, but I'm doing this, this, and this, that won't work. We are to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and these things are to be upon our hearts. And then, verse 7, teach them to your children. Here at Redeemer, we talk about seven marks of a disciple. They're just seven ways we've described what a follower of Jesus looks like. Seek God. Love others. Pursue holiness. Serve the church. Steward your resources. Share the gospel. Multiply disciples. Baby steps into those things. Growth into those things. Secondly, dad and mom cultivate a happy home. Has Christ changed you and made you increasingly a joyful, loving, gracious man or woman? Has Christ changed you? And made you joyful. Proverbs 15, 16, and 17. Chapter 15, verses 16 and 17. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than a great treasure and turmoil with it. Better is just a little with the fear of the Lord than a great treasure with turmoil in it. He goes on, Solomon does, better is a dish of vegetables where love is 
than a fattened ox served with hatred. This applies anywhere, but does it not apply to a place like Katy, Texas? Fast paced, up and going. nice homes and nice cars and nice clothes and nice toys and all of that. Great! As long as there's love. It'd be better to have just a little with the fear of the Lord and all of that in the house of turmoil. So walk humbly with your God. Cultivate a happy, loving home. And then, Dad and Mom, let's join this exciting journey together. Together in discipling our children. God is big enough. His word is clear enough. His spirit is powerful enough to help even you and me, who can sometimes feel so out of our league. And say, Mitch, I, I don't What to say? Listen, God is in control. God gave you those kids. You can do it. You can do it. And we want to do the best we can as we're learning together to come along side of you. Let me close with this. So we were doing our family devotions at family camp this week, and part of it we had the Jesus Storybook Bible. And um, we would read a story from the Jesus Storybook Bible, and then we would talk about it. And of course, like I said, there was groaning and moaning and squirming going on just about the whole time. But on this particular morning, we were reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible and the story of the prodigal son. How he had basically said, I'm out of here. Daddy, give me my money now, because I'm going to go do what I'm going to do. And he got his money, and he went and did his thing until he found himself feeding pigs, ruining his life. And he came to his senses and decided to go home, but he's wondering, oh, what's going to happen? Will my daddy, will my father receive me back? What he didn't know is that the father each and every day had gone out on the front porch, right, and was looking, just waiting. For his son to return. The son gets close to home. And the father sees him. And the father goes running after him. He came to this story. Let's have a party, his dad shouts. My boy's home. He ran away. I lost him. But now I have him back. Jesus told him, God is like the dad who couldn't stop loving his boy. People are like the son who said, does my dad really want me to be happy? Jesus told people this story to show them what God is like and to show people what they are like. And at this moment, Molly, the eight-year-old, wait a minute. We all kind of stop. If you know Molly, wait a minute. You got that high voice. We're thinking, maybe we're getting through. 
I got a question. Sweet, the groaning and the moaning is over. What is it, Molly? Which body do those heads go with? And I hung my head in shame, right? I thought I had her. I thought she was, mm. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the dads and the moms that are here today. Maybe some single moms, some single dads. And uh, I pray for us, that you would help us. It's a fight of faith just to walk with you ourselves and then to seek to be influential in the lives of our children that they might walk with you as well. It's a high calling, but it's an exciting one. It's an incredible privilege and responsibility you've entrusted to us. Would you help us to find hope that um, you can empower us for this. You can help us in this work. And Lord, I pray you would help the leadership here at Redeemer Community Church as we think about these things and want to do better at coming alongside parents and encouraging and equipping them, helping each other in this incredible calling. Would you put your good hand on us? And um, Lord, as, as each of us step our toes into this water, maybe for the first time, um, we ask your help and your grace. Lord, if there's any here today who do not know of your forgiveness and of your love through your son Jesus, maybe the songs we sang or the communion that we took, or even just the brief look at this prodigal son's story. Would you open their eyes to see how you've run, how they have run from you into sin and rebellion, but how you are a God of, of love. And to any who will humbly come home, you will reach out and embrace them forgive them, take them into your family forever. Today, might you open the eyes of their heart to see it, to believe it, and to cling to your love through your son, Jesus Christ. We'll pray this in his name. Amen.